Uh, thank you for being with us, and I hope you enjoy our service. Well, we've got VBS coming up, like Richard was talking about. And if you look in the bulletin, you can actually see how many people we need here. We've got uh, Worship 5, uh, Craft 0, no, can't be there anymore, uh, Snacks 2, Games 6, 15 Decor, 3 Media, then uh, uh, 5 for Small Group Lead, and 2 and 11. We want to thank everybody who's responded to our call uh, to volunteer for VBS. Because what we're doing at VBS is we are creating little disciples, just like we had a WANA uh, award ceremony uh, this past week. It, it was just wonderful to see these kids who had memorized so many verses and had done so well. I want to thank all the volunteers in Awana for the great job that they've done this past year. And this is another aspect of discipling kids. And this is a church-wide outreach. We want to be thinking more like that, that we're, we're, we're a church, we're a, a mission, we're a team that works together. So what do we do? Well, the first thing we can do, we could show that slide. Uh, if you're going to invite families, okay, that's, that can be your role. Even if you don't have kids, there might be somebody that you can invite out uh, to this time. Uh, it's one of the, the key times in the year when we can contact as many families as possible and to have them have that time here in our ministry and be on our campus. Uh, so, again, circle uh, number seven if you're going to invite families. And that's the next steps right under uh, where you put your name. It says next steps and one through ten. Circle number seven, if you're going to invite families to VBS, because we are a church that's all about bringing people to Jesus. And this is an excellent event to make that happen. You know, if you have kids, bring the neighbor kids. In fact, I would encourage you to sign up real early here because we have 150 spots. 150 spots. Again, we're taking a step of faith here going from 100 to 150 that's why we need more staff. So I pray you be encouraging, uh, excuse me, be praying about this. And I pray that you might even be a staff member. Yeah, you saw what the positions are. And this is a church-wide mission program. And uh, so I would encourage you to circle eight if you'd like to be involved in VBS in one of those circles. And then circle nine if you'd be interested in seeing a Springbrook face page encouraging healthy eating and exercise. I'll talk about that in a second. And we've had our prayer gathering going on uh, today. And we are going from 8 o'clock to 1 p.m. Uh, prayer every half hour. So uh, it's 11.34 now. If any of you would like to leave, you can do so. It's right here in our conference room. Uh, yeah, we need, of course, to be in prayer. Uh, for our ministry, for how God wants to use us. And next week, we're going to be having another Sunday of prayer. So what I encourage you to do is to circle uh, number 10, if you'd be coming to that particular uh, prayer gathering, and just write down what time. And you know, I looked you know, this morning, and it's just the same people that always come out and pray, mostly. So I'm talking to everybody else who hasn't been in a prayer meeting in a long time. 
You don't have to speak out loud. I know that's a common fear. You can just pray silently along with someone. But that's your responsibility, to pray with other believers. And we're trying to make it as easy as possible for you. So I encourage you to take that step of faith to be involved. It's great to see some new people in there who are growing in prayer, exposing themselves in that way. and uh, That'd be great. All right. Very good. Now, I wanted to let you know that about a year ago, uh, I kept hearing about the Fitbit. And people kept talking about these challenges and how many steps they were going and things like that. So before I mentioned she'd be interested in one, so I gave her one. And then I said, wow, this might get me going in terms of losing weight again. So I got one. And, and I got the Ulta here. And uh, this Fitbit has changed my life. I, I walk in a totally different way. I used to walk just to get places. But now every step I take is a step of health. I was at Office Max just uh, Friday, and I parked in the back of a parking lot. You know, it's great back there. I mean, you can choose from so many different spaces. You can park your car in any type of configuration you want to, and nobody's going to care. They might drive by. That's weird. But, and your car won't be scratched. That's another motivation. But I picked up an extra 200 steps just doing that. And I've been walking around this room throughout the weekend. Uh, throughout the week, that is. Uh, doing my rounds at lunchtime and other times. And uh, I've been praying for you guys. I've been praying for this church and this ministry. I've been lifting you guys up and talking on the phone, whatever I might have going on at that time. But I've lost, let's see, in the last six weeks, 15 pounds. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Again, it's not that big a deal, but uh, it's for me. I get, the last time I had Mojo, God gave me Mojo back in, uh, let's see, 2003. And I had lost 28 pounds, and uh, then it stopped and went back up again. <laughs> so I got my son's wedding uh, in July, so that's kind of motivating me. And then also just the, the whole idea of honoring God's temple. You know, we all struggle, uh, not, a lot of people struggle with weight. In fact, statistics say that 50% of adults are on a diet. I mean, in terms of they're actively trying to lose weight. And those that lose the weight, 90 to 95% gain the weight right back. <laughs> Losing weight is very, very difficult. I'm an emotional leader, so whenever I'm stressed or, you know, disturbed for some reason, I'll reach for cookies or candy, and God has given me the willpower. But, but, but the whole point here is that if you are going to decide to lose weight, you have to be committed to it. You need to take ownership of it because it's going to mean that you're going to have to change maybe a lifetime of eating habits. 
And I bring this up because there are so many people that are trying to lose weight. And you can, again, understand how hard it is to do. We're continuing our series on Nehemiah today. And we talked about it two weeks ago. And Nehemiah was called to do an impossible task. He was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And you'll see how impossible that is as we go along here. Last or A couple weeks ago we talked about Nehemiah and how he was the cupbearer for the king. <laughs> he protected the king. He had a lot of high privileges, but it was a high-risk job. His best day on the job was the day he died because he saved the king. <laughs> right? yeah. But he had a great relationship with the king, and his brother had come back in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, he was in exile in uh, Medo-Persia, in the capital of Susa. And his brother came and told him about all the desolation of Jerusalem. Now, he knew about it, but it was another thing hearing it from his brother. So what did Nehemiah do? He went into a time of prayer and fasting and mourning for four months. Four months. At the same time, I believe God was helping him to plan his strategy. You know what that says? That the bigger issue, the bigger challenge, the bigger project that you're dealing with, what? The more time you should spend in prayer doing it. I mean, again, praying for it. More bigger the project, more prayer. And that's just as a corollary we see in Scripture, and it works. But do we do it? When we sit down to something that's very significant, do we spend like a half hour in prayer? Praying. For that. So he was praying, and God put something on his heart. This is from the passage we're going to be studying in uh, Nehemiah 2. God had put in Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That's what God put in his heart during those four months. God spoke to him. Nehemiah prayed, and then he listened. God spoke to him, and then he eventually stepped out in faith. So first we pray and ask God for guidance and uh, wisdom, and, and then we listen to God and see what he has for us to say. And then we step out in faith, and that's what we'll see uh, throughout this passage. So I want to ask you, what is God putting on your heart this summer? What is God saying, hey, I want you to grow in this area? And also, what has God put on the heart of our congregation? We go to Nehemiah 2.1. So it's four months later, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now, King Artaxerxes, this is really fascinating because, I don't know, 30 years before this, they have been trying to rebuild the walls of uh, Jerusalem. And what happened was that there were some governors of different provinces in the area, and they weren't happy about it because if, if Israel built their walls of their 
capital city, well, then they would become an entity. And they didn't want any more people to have any more power. So they did everything that they could to shut that down. And you'll see that in the book of Ezra, that Artaxerxes was told, hey, you're going to lose taxes if you let this thing go forth. So Artaxerxes shut the project down. No more rebuilding the wall. Now it's 30 years later, and Nehemiah comes to him. It's uh, very interesting. When wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Why is that significant? Hey, listen, if you're approaching a Middle Eastern king in that day, you better be happy. I don't care what's going on in your life, but he doesn't want to see any, 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 any unhappy people. And so, now, I had not been sad in his presence. So a four-month period... Uh, Nehemiah was struggling with depression and struggling with just what am I going to do? He was always joyful uh, with the king. But this particular day, he was going to step out in faith and make a big ask. This particular day was the day that he was going to make a really big ask of King Artaxerxes. So the king notices it. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. I think this is fascinating. Then I was very much afraid. There's a lot of risk here, especially if you ask the king for things, you know. could have lost his job. He could have been beaten. Things would not have gone well. But again, because he had prayed and he had prepared himself, He was willing to take this step of faith, but notice, he was afraid again. And you would think, come on, Nehemiah, God has put this vision in your heart. You planned it out. Why are you afraid now? Because it was at the very point when Nehemiah was going to take that step of faith. That's what taking a step of faith is, right? It's kind of scary, right? It's like, well, you know... If I do this, you know, all these things could happen. I feel that God is telling me to do this, but we can think about it and pray about it. But when it comes to that point where we step over the line, there's human fear. And that's okay. How did he respond? I said to the king, let the king live forever. That's always what you want to say to a king if you meet one. Uh, why should not my face be sad When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Of course, he's talking about Jerusalem. And I believe Artaxerxes knew he was talking about Jerusalem. Because Nehemiah was such a good leader, he packaged it a different way. He said, listen, my father's graves are desolated. Back in that day, there was a very, very strong reference, uh, excuse me, reference, reverence uh, for people who had died. And so he appeals to that Middle Eastern desire. doesn't mention the city. He says it's all lies and ruins. So that would personally bother Artaxerxes. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And I love this. So I prayed to the God of heaven. It's a shotgun prayer, right? 
The best illustration in Scripture, right? I mean, he's afraid. He's about to make the big ask. And he asks him, what are you requesting? Oh, God, help me. You guys do that, huh? On the job with your kids when challenges come your way. And you're right in the middle of it. Somebody's come up to you and they're really mad with you. And you don't know why. Oh, God, help me. Right? Yeah. We should all be doing shotgun prayers because we need to be talking with God as we go throughout the day to realize that He is our Lord and that we are abiding with Him. And I talk to God all day long. I know many of you do. And this is just a great illustration. Man, I don't have much time to pray, but God help me. That's where we should be. Always asking God for His power. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. (laughs) Again, remember, like 30 years before, Artaxerxes had shut that project down. And now Daniel's coming back, or excuse me, Nehemiah's coming back and saying, hey, would it be okay if I did that? Now, that's what was so impossible about this. Why would he change his mind? Nehemiah 2.6, And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So please the king to send me when I had given him a time. And that's God, right? <laughs> he said, Well, how long do you have to be gone? But, but Nehemiah doesn't stop there because he really has a lot of faith. And he had been praying about this, uh, beseeching God for favor. So he goes on to ask for a lot of other stuff. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. Now, the problem was it was very dangerous to travel in that day, very dangerous to travel through countries. Uh, They were very territorial. Uh, So what he needed was letters from Artaxerxes, who was the king of Medo-Persia, to show each country he went into, listen, it's okay that I pass through here. Otherwise, he probably would have been killed. So he had thought this all out, exactly what he needed. Planning is critical in everything uh, that we do. And, and a letter, always asking for something else here, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. I just love that. There was that house in there. Hey, could you give me a house too? This is unbelievable that anybody would ask this of King Artaxerxes. You wonder, how did he know the name of the keeper of the king's forest? Well, he found out that name, right? Because that's good leadership. Not exactly who that person is. Again, it it, uh, moves a person more to help you out, to know, again, who the leaders are. And, (laughs) uh, yes, it's an amazing ask. And the king granted me what I asked. 
for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. He sent him a military escort. He didn't even ask for a military escort. I mean, if you're having, you know, the <laughs> this, I mean, a Persian little army escort around you, that's how God provided. So here's my question to you. How could Nehemiah go for working with King Artaxerxes who had ordered that the building of Jerusalem be stopped, how in the world did King Artaxerxes, in the end, send his cupbearer off? He gave him all the timber that he needed. He gave them letters in order to get through those areas. And he gave them a house. How does that happen? Friends, that only happens through prayer. That's the power of prayer. That's why we have a, a prayer gathering going on there. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. It blows your mind when you realize all the different things that were going on. And that's how we grow as Christ followers. We look at... Uh, here, talking about God's direction in your life. You know, as a Christ follower, first of all, we have to make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives. That uh, comes to a point in your life when are you really going to go all out for God? Are you really going to submit to Him in every area? Are you going to pay the price to follow Jesus Christ? And that's what I would hope for everyone. Because that's when the Christian life really gets interesting and exciting. God really starts to use you. You have to make Him Lord of your life. Then again, as we talk about discovering the spiritual pathway, this is the process here. All throughout your Christian life, God is going to grow you in different Areas And how does that happen? Well, first of all, you pray and say, okay, God, what do you want to do in my life? Where do you want me to change? Where do you want me to invest my time? As we think about the summer, that's, that's always a, a nice time period where we have more discretionary uh, time. Uh, I do things I like to do. It's a great time to grow spiritually. And so you pray to God and say, God, what is it? Now, some of you know right away what your vision should be. Remember we talked about the fact that Nehemiah, God put in his heart the vision of rebuilding the walls. And if you're an active Christ follower, you should always be praying for more vision, a preferred future for what God would want you to do. How He wants to change you. How He wants to have you impact other people in your lives. And so I encourage you to make this a regular part of your spiritual life. Maybe every quarter. But just stop and say, okay, over the next three months, 
What does God want me to do? And you pray for it. And sometimes it comes right away. Maybe it's a sin that you haven't dealt with. Maybe uh, it's getting involved in a ministry and stepping outside of your comfort zone. Sometimes it might be a, a choice to be more generous toward God. Sometimes it might be uh, really focusing in on a particular person, your one life, and saying, well, I'm going to do everything I can to cultivate my relationship with that person this summer. And then you listen to God. And He, he speaks in a lot of different ways, but the point is, is that you'll get an idea, okay, the summer of 2016, this is what I'm going to focus on in my spiritual life because God has brought it to my attention. That's how the Christian life is. I mean, God just brings us stuff. He puts vision in our hearts. There's so many areas, of course, that were sinful. But God picks out the most important, the one where He wants to work next on you. But you've got to be listening to God. You've got to be submissive. He has to be Lord of your life. So, so he, he can speak to you, and, and you'll hear it. And then you'll step out in faith. So important. As we discover our spiritual pathway, that really is uh, the process. Now, Nehemiah 2.10 but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of Israel. Who are these guys? Well, they were the local governors of the provinces, right? They're the ones who told Artaxerxes, "Hey, you better stop that wall. You better stop that wall from being rebuilt." Because if they do, you're not going to get any more taxes for them. And that's why he shut down the project in the first place. So they're back now and they say, what is going on? We thought we shut this thing down. They were not happy in any way. And friends, whatever we do God's work, there's going to be opposition. If you don't have any opposition going on in your life, if you don't have any challenges that are coming your way, uh... You're not living a life. Because whenever you step out in faith, Satan is going to do everything to slow you down, to discourage you, uh, to you know, get you back to being distracted and just kind of going through life. Right? And other people are going to give you a hard time when you're stepping out in faith for God because they're jealous or... A respect for God. It displeased them greatly. Well, I tell you what, friends. If you are making a difference for Jesus Christ, somebody is displeased with you. Maybe it's your mom or your dad that thinks you should have stayed whatever religion you grew up in. They're displeased with you, but you're doing the right thing because that's what's promised when we serve God. We are called to a life of suffering. That doesn't sound very good. Well, we're suffering for Jesus Christ who gave His life for us. It's the highest way we can honor Him. This is the path that uh, Nehemiah took from Susa 
the capital there where he was at, all the way over to Jerusalem, 900 miles. You're talking about going 900 miles. But they're doing it on animals <laughs> in the hot wilderness. That's how committed he was to the vision that God had put in his life. And the king granted me what I asked. But the good hand of God was upon me. That's what happens when you bathe things with prayer, when you walk with God. You know, his hand will be upon you. So I went to Jerusalem and was there for twelve de- uh, three days. So he had uh, been on this long journey for two months. So I assume he was just resting. And that's quite, quite an ordeal to rest just for three days from that big uh, project that he had of just getting to Jerusalem. Nehemiah 2.12, Then I arose in the night. Now what Nehemiah is going to do here is that he is going to evaluate the city. Now, of course, he has done all the preparation that he can back in Susa. But now he's on the ground. Now it's his opportunity to check things out, to see how really bad things are. Now, he's already been thinking about his strategy to rebuild the wall, but now he's there. And so he wants to go around and personally see every aspect of it so that he uh, can get the job done. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart. There it is. What God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. That's what, that's what God put in Nehemiah's heart. What has God put in your heart to do for him? What has God put in our church's heart to do for Him, because that is the most important thing that we can do. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode, uh, there are a few men with him. Uh, he's probably riding on an animal because he was a leader. That's what, at least what they did. Now here is a uh, replica of the city of Jerusalem after Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. Now, friends, to tell you how impossible this is. <laughs> That's like, they say, one and a half to two miles. One and a half to two miles of wall that he had to rebuild. And when Jerusalem was attacked, what they did was, is they ripped the walls down and there were these huge boulders that were, it's a wall. And they fell down the hillside. So in order to rebuild the wall, you had to take these unbelievable boulders. They probably had some type of uh, system uh, helping them to get them back up to the top where they could place the boulder. So when, when Nehemiah was going around the city, he was going around the southern end. He didn't, he didn't need to see it all. He just needed to get an idea of what uh, had happened. And to think that they completed this wall in 52 days. <laughs> 52 days. We'll talk more about that and uh, how they got that done. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, that's the garbage gate, 
And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. He was inspecting. He was thinking. He was planning. He was strategizing. I went out by night. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. There was no one room. There was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. What's the big secret here, Nehemiah? Why are you waiting to challenge them to build the wall? Because Nehemiah was an incredible leader. In leadership, as you know, it's all about timing. It's all about when you go to ask your boss for a raise. It's got to be the right time. It's all about when you, you go public with a particular product. It's all about uh, when am I going to make that decision? When am I going to actually move on it? What are the best conditions? That's what leaders do. They think through issues like that. And Nehemiah was very specific. He didn't want anybody to know that he was going around inspecting the wall because he knew when the right time was to go public. And we see that he goes public here. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Now again, for Nehemiah, he hadn't seen Jerusalem in a long time. And he was just devastated by what he saw. But these people, they had been living there. That was their normal. Again, yeah, Jerusalem is broken down, walls broken down. How much we can do about it, we've tried before. And they, they were just kind of accepting it. And friends, that can happen to all of us in our spiritual lives. You know, we just kind of go on auto run in our spiritual lives and we've got this particular area where we're not glorifying God and, and this area where we really, really need to grow and we've got to spend more time with God to develop intimacy uh, with Him. But it's kind of like, well, this is the way it's always been. And people will use that auto drive for years, year after year, and they will go nowhere spiritually. Well, friends, that is not what God wants. And that's not what you should want. You should want to be fully aware of your circumstances. And as they change, how God can help you. I mean, we all have, we all have uh, you know, baggage, right? Stuff from the past that's still impacting us today. We've got to work through some of that baggage. We've got to see God in a new way as we, we read His Word. And, and that's why it's so important to pray and to listen to God because He wants to, to speak to you. It might be through a person or the Bible or circumstances, but you've got to listen to Him. If you continue on doing what you're doing, you're not going to get a different result. 
So he's saying, hey, guys, we're in trouble. Now, you don't think we're in trouble because you've been living like this for so many years. But I'll tell you what, this is not normal. Jerusalem's walls are down. I mean, people are making fun of us. They're taking advantage. We have no fortified walls here. Back in that day, for protection, you had to have fortified walls. And if you didn't have fortified walls, you didn't have anything. You were just a destitute people. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. What was he talking about? Well, he's talking about the fact that they had no walls, and again, people just abused them. It was a terrible life. They were very, very poor. They really had nothing. And Nehemiah is casting his vision. He says, listen, guys, there is a problem here, but there's a solution to it. And let me tell you what that solution is. And, and friends, if you're feeling stale spiritually, you need to go to God. And you need to say, God, show me. Show me what direction you want me to go. Show me what you want me to do differently so I can return to that time when I'm excited about walking with you, and He will show you. And you might not like it, but you better deal with that issue or you're not going to get off uh, that particular track that you're on. So He cast the vision. Now, people are still saying, well, who is this guy? You know, Is he trying to make a name for himself or is he an empire builder? Then He says this, that had been up for me for good. And also of the words the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. What, what did Nehemiah do? What was the kicker here? How did he get these people in motion? He told them what God had done. He told them about Artaxerxes, the guy who shut this project down, sent me with the letters of protection, sent me with timber, sent me with a military force. That's what happened. I tell you, you tell a story like that, and people go, wow, maybe we can rebuild this wall. We've never thought it was ever possible, but we've seen God at work in your life. And that's the beautiful thing about being part of the body of Christ is that we see miracles in each other's lives. I was just talking with a family who has been struggling so much with lost jobs and uh, they're trying to move. and But, but they were, it, it was just really interesting. They were joyful because God had provided in such miraculous ways for them. And, and people say, well, why aren't you more freaked out? Well, I don't know. <laughs> don't you love that? That's how Christ followers live. They live in every day with Jesus. And they said, not, notice that? It's not Nehemiah said, they said, rise up, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Wow! This is an incredible chapter, isn't it? Nehemiah 2.19, but when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, 
What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Again, opposition comes their way. Then I reply to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Amen, Nehemiah. Put them in their place. They think that they can take you down. Well, they can't take God down. He's saying, listen, guys, it's not happening. All right? You're not going to stop this project, so why don't you just go home? You have no authority here. God has the authority. And he puts them right in their place. And don't worry, they'll be back. (laughs) But again, uh, we have to realize that as we step out in faith, we're going to get pushed back. And we just have to believe and even tell the person, hey, I know you don't think this makes sense. God says it makes sense. And speak out uh, about your trust in God. Uh, I was really just stunned this past week when President Obama uh, released a memo in the middle of the night. What happens in the middle of the night, right? Evil things. Uh, basically said, hey, listen, if you schools, public schools, if you still want to receive federal funding, you have got to let children go into what other, whatever bathroom where they feel their identity is. What's going on here? It just doesn't make any sense in, in any possible way. I mean, you think about a five-year-old. Uh, how, what are you going to say to that five-year-old about this new rule? Do they have to they have to nail down their sexual identity at five years old? That is foolish. That is wrong in every possible way. President Obama in this area would be called a wicked king in the Old Testament. He would be a wicked king. He is leading us down a wicked way. And he keeps pushing the envelope, friends, and he's wrong. He's sinning. He's leading our country away from God. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to pray for him. We need to pray that uh, he, that you, Lord, would get through to him. You know, catch his attention in some way. And that we would stand up and say, no, we are not going to do that, which a lot of school area, school districts have done. They go down south, right? Texas, Mississippi, no way. <laughs> Who do you think you are, for Pete's sake? But you know, the sad thing is, for me, what it brought to this clarity was where this nation is going. I mean, we've been, I mean, since I was born in the 60s, I have seen unbelievable changes in terms of uh, the morals. The Judeo-Christian ethic has been thrown out uh, the window. And it's devastating. It's devastating. You might know how it's devastated your family personally. And you think of your kids and your grandkids growing up in this cesspool. Friends, if there's not revival in the church, one church leader said that in 30 years we'll be just like Europe. 
just like Europe. And that's why I'm so passionate about building disciples because, friends, persecution is going to come to the United States. You might not be popular as a Christian now, but you, you don't know what's coming. There, there are more people being martyred around the world than any time in history. And we're not immune, guys. And our children are not immune. So how do we prepare for that? How do we get ready for that time period that's coming? Well, we deepen our relationship with God. We make Him Lord of our lives, and then we do everything we can to disciple our children, to disciple uh, children here at Springbrook, to disciple each other. Because I tell you what, when the heat is on, the casual Christians will be running you won't see them in any church. And I talk to you about how we're slipping here, you know, two times a month. What's going to happen next? One time a month? Every attendance once every... It, it's happening, friends. That's why it's so important to be committed because we are in spiritual a spiritual war. Satan is coming at the United States and he's trying to ruin people and we are the only ones who have the light we are the only ones that can give people hope and help them realize that they are not a child of this world, but they need to become a child of God. That's why we're having these prayer meetings. Why, why are you doing this? Because we want God to work within our ministry. We want to see disciples build in this new chapter. We're hyper-focused on discipleship. Our discipleship team throughout this summer here is going to be putting a pathway together in terms of, okay, how do we help the person at Springbrook know what to do, what classes, whatever, experiences, to become a disciple? No more accidental discipleship. You just throw out a menu there and say, hey, go to whatever you want. No, no. If you really want to grow as Christ, this is what we would suggest. And our church is built around that. We're retooling the ministry. What am I saying? Satan hates that. Oh, yeah. He wants to bring us down. He doesn't want to go that direction. He doesn't want stronger Christians. So we're going to face opposition, as Nehemiah did. But my prayer for you and myself is that we would take more ownership of our mission here at Springbrook. Stop being casual Christians for some of us. Step up and realize, man, I mean, my grandchildren, what kind of world are they going to be living in? My children, so I need to do everything today. I need to make a relationship with God, a deep relationship with God, the priority in the family over every other event. Because that's what they're going to need. When the persecution starts. If you don't do it now, they won't be strong enough. They'll just say, hey, way too much heat for me. We have got to, we have got to mold. We've got to teach. We've got to love and encourage and exhort our kids. And saying, hey, you need to live for Jesus. And the most powerful thing is the way you do your Christian life. How important Jesus Christ is in your life. Your kids are watching you. There's another motivation to get holy, huh? 
to protect your kids from the future. I'm just praying for our whole family here that we would take more ownership of this vision. We would take full ownership of the vision that God has put in me and the elders and our leadership of making disciples and that we would stretch ourselves We would do things we haven't done in the past. We will volunteer for VBS. We will go to a prayer gathering where we know the power is, and we're kind of nervous about it, but we're going to do that. And we're going to become a member of this church. Why aren't some of you members of this church, the most important organization on this earth? What is holding you up? Man. This is really serious. We're having bad times coming our way. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. But what can we do right now to help our children and grandchildren, our country? And that is to build strong disciples. It doesn't take sacrifice. We told you our disciple-driven campaign ended. And uh, we're not renewing anything, but we are asking if you could sacrifice and continue to give at that level. And that's between you and God. But if you could do that, that'd be great because we're having financial challenges. We want to continue to do ministry the way God taught us to and even retool in order that we might become more effective in discipleship. Friends, that's the vision. That's what God has put in my heart as your pastor. And that's what we're putting in the hearts of everyone else. And I would encourage you to go home and say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to step up, step out in faith, pray, listen, step out in faith? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this time together. Lord, yeah, we can be afraid of the future. But as long as our children are are solid with you, they know that you're the most important thing in life. When the persecution comes, they won't be scrambling away. We want to build strong, committed, devoted followers of you. And I pray you provide all the resources we need to do that. In Christ's name, amen.